0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, and you are listening to a bonus interview episode. This is the seventh in our series of bonus interviews, and I'm really excited today to be joined by Erica Ladd. Erica is also a podcaster. She's the co-host of the podcast The Girl Next Door. And if you're a regular listener of ours, number one, you are probably a regular listener of theirs. We have a lot of listeners in common but you also heard her partner in crime, Kelsey, on one of our shows recently about working motherhood. So we're, we're in a close-knit podcasting friendship with the girls next door. And Erica, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad. This is going to be really fun. Um, What we are actually talking about today, though, is not just our mutual love of podcasting, Mm -hmm. um, but we're talking about adoption and specifically foster adoption. Erica is an adoptive mom um, and in the process of a foster adoption. And this is something that I don't personally know a lot about. And I think that it's always really beneficial for moms to understand other forms of family life and yes. things that we're not exposed to on a daily basis. Um, and I have been following your journey just through Instagram and the way we've known each other online for a few years. So I'm really excited to hear more. And I'm really, really excited for our listeners to just understand, you know, what, what another mom in the neighborhood might be going through, who's going yeah. through um, any kind of an adoption process. But we're going to focus specifically on your story of um, foster adoption. So, um, do you want to just kind of give us give us your story at the high level and I'll kind of jump in with questions and yeah, share specifically maybe how you guys decided to adopt and then what led you to foster and sibling adoption.
2: Sure. Okay. So, we um decided we wanted to start a family and had difficulty doing that the traditional way um and were diagnosed with infertility with very very low chances of ever getting pregnant on our own um, and that IVF would be our only option um, and that that was also pretty low chances. And we had already decided that that wasn't the route for us. Um, if there were maybe some less invasive things that we could try, we we might be open to it, but we just didn't feel strongly that that was what um, direction our family would take. And I had actually always been uh, very open to adoption. One of my best friends growing up was adopted Um, and just kind of had this like seed planted throughout, I feel like childhood and into adulthood of being really interested in adoption. Um, and so right away for me, that was, that was on my mind as a, as a, an acceptable, um, way to start a family, even Even first choice. Um, I had always kind of said I would equally weigh both and we had Mm -hmm. decided to try, uh, the biological route first, but, Mm -hmm. um was actually kind of excited to jump into adoption. Yeah. There was obviously some grieving around the infertility and just um, what might have been kind of thing. Sure. But I was really excited to jump in. Um, and then we started researching the three, there's basically three different routes to adopt. There is international adoption, okay, which I feel like is a more um, common route for young couples like mm-hmm. us to start a family. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of what um, uh, we were more exposed to. So we looked into that. We also looked into domestic infant adoption, where mm-hmm. you are um, chosen by a birth mother specifically, and it's a private adoption.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then foster care adoption, which is the route we went. And I think people don't always realize that even within foster care adoption, you can um, be licensed to just adopt. So you're only interested in children who are already available for adoption, legally okay. free, or you can, Foster to adopt uh, with the end goal being adoption that you might be placed with a newborn or any age child really with the end goal being adoption, but you're not really sure at that point. Or you can just foster where you are, right. you know, providing that safe place and that loving, nurturing environment with the end goal possibly reunification, possibly, um, adoption. So we initially chose adopt only. We were only certified, um, for adoption because we were starting our family this way. And actually, um, for us having a newborn was never a huge priority. I actually used to have pregnancy nightmares and just, (laughs) I was not like, I never had baby fever. I had family fever. That's how I try to describe it. Um, so to me, I just felt like, I wasn't missing out on that baby experience, and we also knew we wanted siblings. Okay. Um, if this was the route we were going to go, siblings is one adoption then mm-hmm. versus two. You're keeping that biological connection for them, mm-hmm. um, and we're both super close to our siblings, and so we just felt like very called to that sibling adoption. Right. And that's much easier to do with foster care adoption, obviously.
0: I have a and quick and- question. Sorry to jump no, in go ahead. about the go ahead. three kind of the three ways to adopt through foster care that you described the second mm-hmm. way is that our families looking um you you described it foster to adopt was that the second mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and then is there a is there a chance going that route that the adoption you know that it's a goal but it's sort of an unknown outcome is that kind of would yeah you, would that be yeah. correct
2: that's it that's more the case where um a lot of times people will decide that route or kind of be convinced for that route because you can often get a child much younger. Okay. Um, but so you might get a child placed with you as a newborn right out of the hospital, but the case plan has to play itself out. So, um, if you're the nice part is that they're with you for that long, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of unknowns because the birth parent obviously has to be given every opportunity and, and their rights, Uh um, to possibly reunify. So that's just a big, a bigger unknown. Now, the funny part about all of that, which I always say, is that that's all very fluid. Yeah. Um, we went into it initially, adopt only. Um, our girls were legally free for adoption pending um, a birth parent appeal. Okay. That was actually one on the technicality. Okay. And so long story short, we had to go back to square one okay. um, and we ended up getting foster licensed. Okay. Um, and we've now been... year and a half they've been in foster care total they were with a uh, their grandmother before us so they've been in foster care total um over three years now
0: okay and how old are your girls we should say that I know or I know roughly but yeah (laughs) um
2: J is three. Okay. And V is four, almost five next month. Okay.
0: Yeah. I think my Violet is right in between your two girls if I've done the math. So,
2: um,
0: okay. And so they have been in foster care for over three years and they've been with you guys how long right now?
2: Uh, A year and a half.
0: Okay. And we're in fall of 2016.
2: Yeah. So they came with with us. Yeah, they came home with us uh, full time in March of last year. So, March of 2015. And they
0: were about 18 months and three ish? Is that how? Yeah,
2: about 20 months and three and a half. Okay.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that kind of just helps paint the picture, I think, for for our listeners. So, yeah, so just continue. I kind of jumped in because I think if you're not in this, it is sometimes we don't even know the questions to ask. And I think it's so helpful to understand. So,
2: yeah. So, it is very different. We had kind of, um, I like to say there's like a ballpark of potential possibilities in foster care adoption. And we're kind of like a home run across the street. Like we're not, (laughs) we kind of scare people with our story because it's, it's just not the typical route. We ended up being foster and very unsure with a, with a complicated, um, court case, but our case is like the 1%, do you know what I mean? So we've ended up being a little more unsure than we started off with, which has been rough, but yeah. I I think if you go in with the foster mentality of Mm -hmm. like, we're just going to see what happens and, um, you know, we're going to be there for them regardless and just be all in that's different than when you, when the chain is kind of jerked and you're like, oh, we're back to square one. So that's something a little different about our story that, um, maybe isn't necessarily the case with foster care to adopt or even just a traditional adoption. So.
1: Listeners, Our Place offers a hundred day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's com code MOMHOUR. Um, But yeah, part
2: of it for us too, like Arizona especially, um, has just a huge issue with kids waiting for permanency. There's like over 18,000 kids in care just in our state alone. And that's just, that just broke our hearts. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, the type to adopt our dogs. We're the type, you know, so it just like really spoke to a soft place in Mm -hmm. us that that was the route, the route for us.
0: Wow. And what was it, what was the waiting period like? So um, from the time that you were, had paperwork going and you were, um, and I may be even using the wrong vocabulary, but approved and knowing that this was going to happen at some point. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking months probably until you get a phone call, right? I think this is about when I started really paying close attention on Instagram and the other ways that I follow you to your story. Can you talk about that waiting period?
2: Yeah. Well, we went to um, our initial, we decided on foster care adoption. and went to an initial orientation um, that was actually put on by a couple different licensing agencies within our state that, you know, all have the same requirements. So we went to that in November of 2014. So I like Mm -hmm. to say that's kind of the beginning of our process. And we adopt, we, um, announced to our families that we were adopting. It's like, Hey, we're pregnant. (laughs) Just kidding. We're going through this big paper pregnancy. Right. Um, so we did that in November of 2014. We started all the paperwork and everything in February after the holidays of last year or wait, the year before yeah. Yeah. Let me get this straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was 2014. Right. Um, so November of 2013 is actually when we okay. Started, okay. started the process. Okay. But part of that was just like, we wanted to wait till after the holidays to start everything. So that wouldn't have to be that right. long. So February of 2014, Fifth. uh, we right. started the paperwork process, um, and then took mm-hmm. classes that summer. There was 13 weeks of classes required for licensing and they kind of we found an amazing agency. That's step one. You find that agency and they really walk you through the rest. Um, and I, and really in any kind of adoption, that's the case. You have to be licensed. And so you work with your agency and if it's a good one, they really hold your hand through the whole process. They tell you when everything is due and it's, you know, you just take it one step at a time. That part was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I would, I would say that to people that are intimidated by the process that, you don't have to do it all at once. It's, okay. it's one thing at a time and they walk you through and it's that part's not as bad as you might think. Okay. Um, so then we were done with our classes early fall of 2014. Right. And we um, did our initial or our final home inspection. Our final home study was all prepared. Like along this whole way, your licensing agency is working up a home study on you. Okay. Um, And that is, uh, I guess, The word is invasive. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're talking about everything. Yeah. But it's also, um, we found it to be kind of therapeutic to talk Uh through everything, talk through how we got to this point and our family histories and all of that. And really, it's not to, like, disqualify you from anything. It's to find the best match. Yeah. You know, their their whole job is to find kids that um, really fit your family given the nature of how you're coming together in the first place. So that was actually kind of cool um, in hindsight. And then we were... Certified to adopt in December, early December, okay. and we got the phone call about our girls in February of 2015, um, which is a phone call from our licensing agency saying, we have these two girls, this is the situation that I know so far, are you interested in pursuing placement?
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: then that goes to a, what they call a red file meeting, where you and any other families that are, that have been pulled as potential placements, all meet with your uh, licensing representative and the state that, because the kids are technically in state care at that point. So okay. they have a, their DC, you know, department of child safety mm-hmm. worker is their guardian technically, and they're the ones making that final decision. So they have a meeting without you there. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's gotta be super emotional. Um, where you're, you, you're kind of represented and they uh-huh. show, you know, why they think that you would be a good placement, and and if you have a good worker, and they think that it would not be a good placement, uh-huh. they say so. Okay. You know, they're trying to find something mutually beneficial. Um, and then we were chosen from there, and so our caseworker gives us a call and says, "You were chosen." Oh my
0: gosh, <laughs> which and is crazy. In that like two months between your fi- well, and probably longer, but especially in the final few months of waiting, you had mm-hmm. identified that you'd wanted siblings. And mm-hmm. did you have an age range?
2: Yes, we said uh, zero to six.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I remember listening to you, I think, on the podcast and kind of following along and, you know, having this, knowing that a phone call could and probably would come yeah. soon but not knowing the ages of, and it was, I think, yeah, over the holidays and, you know, wanting mm-hmm. to nest in the way that yes. we nest to prepare <laughs> to grow a family yeah. and having no idea of gender, age, you know, a one-year-old has so many different needs than a five-year-old. And yes. so that just must have been, I mean, kind of, was it kind of exciting or was it just plain <laughs> Yeah, it was
2: super exciting. I think part of it is I have the hindsight of knowing how stressful it got after we had them. So Uh that part seems fun and (laughs) relaxing to me. Um, But it was fun. You know, I would find like stuff on clearance for any range and buy them in all the sizes and knowing that like, even if they were little, they could wear the bigger ones later on, or I could donate them to friends or whatever. Um, so I just had like little cargo pants in every size and little (laughs) leggings in every size. And just so that I had like, I had a pair of pajamas and an outfit for every age in that range. And it just made me feel good to have something for them right away. And I set up a room, um, you know, fairly neutral, knowing that like the bed would be like the variable that could be switched out for a crib or whatever, if we needed. Um, and then, and we were actually, because they were in a stable placement at the time, um, we had two weeks to get to know them. Yeah. That was going to be my next
0: question is like, once you knew you were chosen, I mean, how quickly are you filling sippy cups? Like we're talking. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, that's kind of the difference too, between looking for an adoptive placement versus a foster placement where you could be the first one that they show up you know, right. in the middle of the night, whatever, right. that wasn't really our scenario. So they were already in a placement. We got to go meet them and kind of slowly transition them. So I had two weeks okay. um, total to get ready for them. So that was when we had many trips to Ikea yeah. and setting up the crib and, you know, uh, after work hours. And so, but that part was kind of fun too. Yeah, sure. So.
0: Sure. The anticipation and knowing they're coming and yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's really, this is a very cool story. Um, well let's, let's kind of move into your transition to motherhood. I know there's a lot of uncertainty and there's still a lot of details we probably could discuss about your circumstances about, um, the adoption and also just, you know, foster care adoption in general. But I kind of want to shift for a minute and kind of like dig deep into what this was like to go from not, having children to being a family of four, having two toddlers or a toddler and a preschooler in the house and kind of your own um, transition to motherhood because that is like wham, bam. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and assume it was hard because I think (laughs) adjusting to motherhood, anyone listening to this who doesn't think adjusting to motherhood by any circumstances is hard has probably found the wrong podcast. Um, But now, you know, having... Having had them in your home for a year and a half, when you look back on that time, is there anything that kind of in hindsight that you want to talk about when it comes to that sudden transition?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the hard part is that you are starting parenthood with very aware and traumatized children. Yeah. Um, And normally you have this newborn who you need to keep alive. Right. And who obviously like your moods do affect them in a certain way and whatever, but they don't notice if you're crying through right. breastfeeding right. they don't you know what i mean like and uh, you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i think all of those new parenthood pains are yeah. just magnified because now you have hurting children who yeah. even if they've had the best their grandmother is wonderful and mm-hmm. now they're removed from her and yeah. they have their own grief and their own um you know feelings around that and like adjusting to you and mine were terrified of our dogs who were our babies and mm-hmm. it was just like it was like parenting in crisis mode Yeah, and then with very aware children. And actually we were, I feel so blessed and fortunate that our girls had, from the very beginning, were very willing to attach to us, were Uh very um, accepting of our love. Like their grandmother was amazing in that transition and just like uh, validating us as their parents Mm -hmm. and and showing them that it was safe and okay and very happy that they were placed with us. And so that could have even been way different and even... Even with that was so hard still and just not knowing them yet, not knowing, you know, what they like, what they don't like, mm-hmm. what comforts them um, and not just having this like pared down, simplified right. version of a newborn. Right. So I think that that was one of the hardest things for me. And then I because of that, you you develop kind of these bad habits of always being in fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Like everything feels like a crisis mm-hmm. just because you're so on and you're so um trying to be on top of it. And so it's taken me a long time to back down off that ledge a little Mm -hmm, bit mm -hmm. um, and realize that like a tantrum is not an emergency, right? You know, uh, sometimes you can just walk away and it's okay. It doesn't have to be solved right then. Right. But I think too, I was in this hyper awareness of like wanting to make sure that they knew I was there to meet their needs right away. So I was even more on top of it than you might be with a two year old who sometimes needs to be ignored, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a very difficult balance. Um, two is a very tough age to start. Parenting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most parents probably would like to forget that year between yeah. two or three in many yeah. ways. So to start there, uh, when I'm not completely head over heels in love yeah. with them yet, you know, yeah. that was just, that was really, really hard. Um, and what, we're coming thing, out what of things, that.
0: what things helped during that time? I'm curious, just having um, support your husband,
2: yeah, having going to counseling, <laughs> having a friend that I could call and be like, Okay, is this normal for two or is yeah. this an, a separate issue? Yeah. Um, and the friend that wouldn't judge, like I remember the first the first time my best friend met the girls was me calling her asking her if she could return the muzzle for our chihuahua that was too big for him because we were trying to introduce them and he's kind of nippy and he was Mm -hmm. scared of them and they were scared of him and Mm -hmm. I'm like if he bites they're gonna take the girls away and like none of that was true
0: but I was freaking (laughs) out
2: and she came to the door had not even met the girls yet and I just like melted into her arms and I'm like this is so hard I can't do this and she's like yes you can what do you need me to do? And like just she ended up staying with me and just playing with the girls and telling me how awesome they were. And Jeremiah took the muzzle back to the store, which we didn't even <laughs> end up needing. He was fine. Like just <laughs> um, just people that were willing to be in the mess with me. Yes. And I think that I've tried to be be very honest and open from the beginning about how hard it is because I think that adoption in general is romanticized sometimes sure. and, yep. and made into a fairy tale with you know, as, once they're home, everything's good. And it's like, no, once they're home, they're, you know, it gets yeah. real. Yeah. So, um, and it is a fairy tale. It's a beautiful story yeah. in so many ways, but it's a really hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, and there's so. that kind of dynamic where if you zoom out or if you have the benefit of hindsight, there's so much beauty and poignancy yes. to yes. the story. But you still have to get up every day and yeah. parent toddlers, which is yeah. like, it's not like you can separate the two so like the beautiful story Mm -hmm. that's being written is in the middle of really really hard stuff yeah so I think that honesty is um so important um, yeah for for all of us was there a point um where you did just kind of feel like you maybe could were through the most intense you know a a number Mm -hmm. of months in or something where it started to feel like okay (laughs) we've got, you know, that you weren't yeah. in that sort of survival mode.
2: I think And if you're still of,
0: there, that's okay.
2: No, no. I mean, I still am in some ways. We're still waiting to finalize the adoption, but I think there was a lot of points along the way where it started to feel like, okay, we were reaching this next level. Like I remember introducing them to my parents was huge. Mm-hmm. They, they felt like mine. My parents live in yes. Wisconsin and we're in Arizona. And so introducing them for the first time to my parents felt like, okay, they're really mine. You know, yeah. um, some of these times where I could just like, step outside of it for a minute. Um, The hard part with that too, is the case continued and got more and more complicated. And we were past the point that we were supposed to be adopting them and things got ugly and it just felt scary, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, When parenting was starting to feel easier, that was feeling harder. Interesting. And so um, now we're at a place in the case where it's good. We're literally waiting for one more, one more step of the puzzle. That's just a formality. And then we can adopt them officially. And so all of the yucky stuff is behind us. So now I'm feeling really this fall for the first time, like, and I, I've been writing about it on my blog, like I'm able to actually even let myself believe that this yes. is actually happening. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was hard where that might not have been the case if, right. if the case wasn't so complicated in right. the background. Um, yeah. And just, yeah, hearing like traumatizing news about that, something that sets us back months and months. And then, Mm -hmm. like you said, having to go fill a sippy cup with like tears, you know, and, and it's so connected to them. It's not like I have this super stressful thing going on in my life, but it has nothing to do with you. And so I can just like escape into my snuggly babies. Like it's all wrapped up together and it's very, very hard to separate. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely been steps along the way, but we're getting there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know you guys have been really intentional about starting family traditions. And one of maybe one of the really fun things about getting toddlers and preschoolers right when you did is that they are at an age where they start to, you know, connect time and place and people a little bit more and look forward to things. And I've heard you talk on your podcast about now it's been more than a year. So they're remembering things or looking at pictures from last year. Do you want to talk about just some of the ways that you guys are cultivating family and cultivating traditions right from right from the start?
2: Yeah, well, if you listen to my podcast or know (laughs) me at all, I am a huge tradition holiday um, seasonal celebrator. And so right from the beginning, I feel like that's something that um, I wanted to incorporate with them. Like I remember, I will never forget the first fall that we had the girls last year. Um, I was telling V, the older one, that you know, we were going to get out all of our fall decorations. And she was putting together that her birthday was in fall. And so she was just starting to like put this all together. And it's hard in Arizona because we have to like make fall. Yes,
0: (laughs) you have to pretend it is a giant ruse.
2: And I just remember hearing her going over to Jay, who was completely oblivious at this point and just saying, I said, you know, we'll take all those decorations out after nap time and you can help me put out all the pumpkins and everything. And she just went over to her sister and was like, after nap time mommy says it's fall it's just the cutest like she's they're just starting to like really get all that and I told them today today is the first official day of fall so when they get home from school today we're going to decorate and and they just they know and already it's crazy how that's become part of their story and it's so Mm -hmm. cool to see um we celebrate family day, which is our anniversary of the day we brought them home for good. Awesome. Um, so in March we did our first family day and we have cupcakes and we go out to eat and we um sing happy family day to us instead of happy birthday. Aww. So it's cool. We celebrate their birthdays and the day that we all became a family. Um, I'm really looking forward to adoption day, yeah. just big old, big old party. And the cool part is we've had them long enough where that's not, they're used to us, they're used to our friends and yeah. family. And uh-huh. so where you might not be able to celebrate like you want to with kind of still nervous new children. Like they're like all in, they're ready for a party. So (laughs)
0: it's kind of cool. That's really cool. And because your family, are both your and your husband's families far away?
2: Uh, For the most part, we do have Jeremiah's one brother lives here and another one in Texas. So his brothers are down in the Southwest here, but the rest of his family's back in Wisconsin. and So I imagine too.
0: that's been another way to kind of connect them to their larger family as those visits and
2: yeah. Yeah. So Face we have, time little, and, yeah. yeah, we have like a cousin pumpkin farm trip when we go back and we're planning to go back again this fall and they get real fall that way. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of been neat because then when we, they do see my parents or family members, it's like this concentrated time, you know, when my parents stay for a week that they might not get if they lived in town. So that's kind of cool.
0: Right. Very cool. I love that. Well, I want to talk a little bit about um, finding your community of other moms, um, because this is something that transcends all forms of motherhood. I mean, if we hear anything from our listeners, it's that podcasts like ours and yours help moms feel not so alone, if they're working full-time or they don't know anybody in their town, just feeling connected. So feeling connected, especially as a newer mom, is A number one on mm-hmm. the hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. one of them. But I'm, I, I would imagine that there's kind of like a couple different ways that happen for you. I, I assume there's probably some support and some community feeling among other adoptive families or people that you've followed online but then you're also in your in your real day-to-day daycare, preschool, neighborhood community connecting with moms who on the one hand have kids your age, but on the other came to family life a very different way. Right. How, right. how did that work for you and how did you find your your tribe or your many tribes to kind of yeah. support your, your experience?
2: Um, it's been kind of interesting because we joke that we kind of caught up with everybody <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. we didn't have kids from birth, but like, all of our friends' kids are in that toddler preschool range. So we're like, here we go. We we will just add a couple more to the crew. And really, my friends were amazing about just accepting. I mean, and not that I expected anything different, but from day one, just treated like an expectant mom. Um, My friends threw us a surprise shower shower when we uh, were finished with our classes and just got like gift cards and books and, but celebrated us as expectant parents, which right. was huge. And right. I think not always typical because people don't know what to do. So they just right. kind of do nothing and say nothing. And you end up feeling like you missed out on this right um,
1: kind of rite of passage uh-huh. in parenthood or whatever. So that's been cool.
0: um,
2: in those two weeks that I was talking about when, um, I found out about them, but we hadn't brought them home yet, but we knew who they were and that they were girls at this age. I had really great friends that I used to teach with just show up at my house with like literally a kitchen table full of girl toys and Aww. clothes and little swimsuits and just, just so excited for these two girls. And it's just, and to finally know who they were, cause the range was so wide open. So that kind of stuff, um, was just huge for me and just helped me to then step into motherhood with the alongside of these friends and mm-hmm. feel like I belonged there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it is hard. I think sometimes, um, in early childhood, especially if all the moms are in the thick of that, we're talking about breastfeeding and right. we're talking about birth right. stories and birth yeah. horror stories. And so even being a mom, I still don't have that connection a lot, right. um, in conversations. And so, Uh, just, just finding ways to include me in that, like larger mom narrative has been huge. Um, I think just friends being willing, like I said, to, to step into that mess. And I think that goes for all kinds of parenthood. Mm -hmm. Parenthood is messy sometimes Mm -hmm. literally. And Mm -hmm. like you need the kind of friend, like Jay had a big accident at the gym the other day and my best friend was with me and she's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to like, just (laughs) literally like willing to take my child's like, pea soaked socks off of her if I need her to. So I think finding those people, no matter where you are in parenthood and, and putting yourself out there and being real, being Mm -hmm. the first one to say it sometimes that it sucks or that you're having a hard time with this or that, um, I think really creates that genuine community. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have been super fortunate, especially being away from family that Mm -hmm. I have this family here. Kelsey next door has been amazing. She was one of the first people I told about the girls. She Mm -hmm. happened to be playing out front with dash and I went bawling outside to tell
0: her about it. And
2: so, yeah, just, um, feel super fortunate, but that comes with a lot of being honest and being willing to put yourself out there a little bit.
0: I, I love that. And then how about on the adoptive family side? Have there been like forums or online groups or, or local other, other adoptive families or, um, or not?
2: Yeah. Well, we, um, the girls are not their only siblings. So we adopted from a larger sibling set and they placed the siblings with, um, in groups of two within our same agency. Okay. So we have all kept in touch and kept the siblings in touch, kept in touch with their grandmother. So that's been a source of support and that, you know, that biological connection for them. Um, and then just our agency has been amazing. Uh, I, I found a few, um, Online resources, Jen Hatmaker, if anybody Mm -hmm. has read any of her things, she is an adoptive mom as well and just does some real truth telling about it and it feel, and she adopted older children from Ethiopia and, um, just very honest about it, but encouraging. And, uh, so I read a lot of her stuff. Kristen Howerton also, Mm -hmm. um, has adopted both internationally and through foster care, um, and talks a lot about that. So just reading some of those, I've Mm -hmm. actually sometimes at certain points in the process found it hard to really tap into the adoption community because I felt, um, just uh, from my own self, like Mm -hmm. I felt not quite a foster parent, not Mm -hmm. quite an adoptive parent Mm -hmm. in this weird limbo because of our unique case. And it just, I felt like it was too in it too raw. So like other people's adoption stories either made me jealous or terrified me or yeah, so a trigger. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's okay to know when is a time to tap into that and right. and when is a time to step back and just insulate yourself a little bit. Right. Um but yeah, but there's an amazing community online yeah. and I've definitely started to tap into that more and feel like I can be at a point in the process where I can advocate and, you know, join that larger voice yes. speaking about
0: adoption. So yes. And I'm sure as you move years into this, you'll probably be a great resource, because you are a writer and have a platform and a podcast. And you know, you will be one of those people that is able to sort of talk about it. I can see how when you're in it, it just yeah, 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 Mm -hmm. I I can totally see that. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of related, this is something I've noticed for a long time, I think, because I've been watching editorial mom blogs, and both for work and for personal, but you see a lot of articles out there Mm -hmm. about like 10 things, not to say to an adoptive mom or like mm-hmm. you know the most offensive things adoptive families hear all the time and um i've always kind of read these things with fascination because number 1 i do not want to offend anyone right but number 2 <laughs> i think um and okay so let me let me put it this way there will be people in the grocery store line who are obnoxious and insensitive and have have just n- no filter and there's really no right. excuse for that however right. i think there's another Category of people who have curiosity about how families come together, including mm-hmm. older children, because I have, you know, older children now who yes. just n- notice differences in families. Right. And so I'd love for you to maybe talk about have you gotten really obnoxious comments? Have you gotten those grocery store comments? How do you handle them? And then also, how do we how do we make it okay to ask questions or what types yeah. of questions do you like getting from truly honest curiosity and people who want to understand your family. And I'd love to just kind of go there a little bit. Cause okay. this is something I've, yeah. I've thought a lot about and, um, just kind of nobody wants to say the thing that's offensive, but right, sometimes right. that means saying nothing when you could be totally, which can or, be just as offensive. I yeah, say. yeah. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. So maybe start with, have you gotten those obnoxious comments and what um, are they? <laughs> yeah, I have. I think
2: that for me, it always boils down and we, um, we adapted trans racially. Okay. Um, and so that is another thing when, when the four of us are together, we look different. We, yeah. I mean, they, the girls look adopted. Yes. And so, um, I think that that adds another layer. And yes. I know the more different you look than your children, the more obnoxious comments you mm-hmm. get. Cause I think even it's funny if I just have the girls out by myself, like I have dark hair and darker mm-hmm. eyes and things like they do. So I think they assume they could be biologically mine, right. but when the two of us are together and they're calling us mommy and daddy, and it looks like <laughs> clearly we did not produce them. (laughs) Like then we get more looks and comments. It's really interesting. So, um, I think for me, I, it's always about motivation. Number one, Uh um, when people start with like, Oh, I was adopted or, um, you know, my daughter is thinking about adoption and I just had a question for you if you don't mind, or something like that is different for me than nosiness.
0: And what because would nosiness look like? What are the like, types of, are they yours? Yeah. Are they yours?
2: <laughs> and the other aspect of that is if it's in front of them or not. Sure. Absolutely. I will, I will gladly be an adoption advocate and, and tell you, I'm, I'm very open. I write about it. I talk about it. Um, but my children don't necessarily, they deserve normalcy and yeah. they deserve privacy. Sure. And it, it's their story to tell. So I, even when I'm writing and, um, you know, talking about it on the podcast, I try to tell it from my perspective, uh, Uh, me as a mom, not necessarily their story or how Mm -hmm. they came to be. Um, a lot of people will ask me about their birth parents and I'm like, I can't tell you any of that. (laughs) And it's just not, I mean, to me too, like people come into kids come into foster care for not so good reasons, like it's never a good story. And so, um, that is, totally private for them. And that's their story to know about and share when they feel ready. And really they're so little, they don't even know their full story yet. And so they deserve it before some random person at the grocery store. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. I think anything that makes them feel or me feel like less than a real family, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. is where I, where I take offense. Uh, like I've had lots of people ask, are they really, are they real sisters? And I know they mean biological, right? um, but what if they weren't and now you just made them feel like they are not legitimate sisters or they're less than, or you, or you would not ask that about another, you know, another family, you would assume they're all family yeah. and it it doesn't matter. Even if they're not biological, they are now, I mean, they're sisters now. So, yeah. Um, So that kind of stuff is where I think it crosses the line is in terms of what is your motivation behind it? Are you just nosy? Right. And sometimes it is an interesting story and I get it. Like, yeah we like to hear a good story and i understand that but it doesn't mean that you know my child's right to privacy and feeling normal and feeling legitimate you know should trump that right. so that's kind of where the line is for me and i think to keep in mind too as a new mom everything feels personal mm-hmm. and raw and like exposed like and and in adoption there's that extra layer of like I already feel like I have to kind of prove it that I'm yeah. their mom. Yeah, um, sometimes with them, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so for a random stranger to ask you something in mm-hmm. the grocery store that just hits that nerve, I think is why you see some of like the really snarky, right. you know, articles right. and whatever about it. And. I, I saw like a funny one, um, as a YouTube, like if you wouldn't say, ask it about a boob job, don't ask it about an adoption. I like that. Can we link to that? Yeah. Like I will definitely also do the, like, it's like, how much does it cost? Like you don't ask that in front of children. You don't ask that about a boob job. Like you just don't, or are those real? I mean, you just don't. So, um, yeah, I try to approach it with a little bit of a sense of humor, but I've definitely, it's definitely gotten easier to get a look or a question, the more comfortable I am as their mom. Right. Um, but yeah, it's hard at first.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's (laughs) really funny. Um, well I want to move actually into talking about a couple of other things, but before we do, let's make sure that if, if there were moms out there who are wanting to know, or if moms had friends, going through this. Are there, um, resources or even a first step? Like let's say someone's listening to this and wants to know more, um, specifically about adoption through foster care, since that's your unique story, Mm -hmm. where would you, where would what would you have them do first or where would you send them? And we'll include all this in the show notes.
2: Um, I think that what we started out with, we read a book, this one I didn't write down, so I'll make sure to get you the exact title, but it's like 10 questions to ask yourself before you adopt. Okay. Um, And it just helps you think about some things, be talking about some things with your partner that Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that you kind of need to know going in your motivations and why you want to adopt. And then from there, it helps you to decide which route of adoption is right for you. Um, I would say, too, if you're coming to adoption out of infertility, Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of made light of that. But there are definitely things that have come up even in this process and even after we've had our girls that like trigger those Mm -hmm. those old hurts from mm-hmm. the grief of infertility because it is a loss it's, yeah. it's a loss of something that won't be and so I think that um making sure you process that mm-hmm. uh you know to the best that you can because it still will come up and, yeah. and not just saying oh I'm ready for the next thing right um I would say that and then
0: lost my train of thought that's okay um
2: you can always send yeah. me
0: anything after too that we can Yeah,
2: I think starting to read some blogs and things, talking to some adoptive moms. My I mean, I'm always willing to answer questions, mm-hmm. you know, even through Instagram, whatever okay. we can private talk through things. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm kind of an open book that way. Um that's that was the biggest thing. I actually sat down with a mom in my book club at the time who had okay. adopted from foster care because I I wanted to talk to somebody who had actually done it. And it's yeah. funny because we haven't really talked a lot since then she's gone on to other things. And so, but it was just this crucial conversation, like right person in my life at the right time to talk about that, that kind of led me to decide this route. So,
0: yeah, no, I love that. That is, that's really helpful. Um, well, one thing I want to not leave before mentioning is that you were on Megan's podcast, the home hour before we had the mom hour. So Mm -hmm. probably two years ago, do you think? I didn't look up when that was, it was probably back to school time two years ago. Um, and the reason you were is that you are, are a teacher. I never like to say we're a teacher. You are a teacher, <laughs> not are. in a classroom <laughs> certified, keeping yeah. it up. Yeah. Yes. You are a teacher currently not in charge of your yes. own classroom and you wrote, had a blog and wrote a book. The book is candid classroom, correct? Mm-hmm. And the blog was candid teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about, um, really parents and teachers communicating effectively and kind of what parents what what teachers wish parents would know yeah. Um, yeah. about the classroom experience. Um, I I'm gonna link in our show notes to uh, moms who can go back and listen to that episode. I I know I've told you this privately, but it's one of the shows that Megan and I bring up offhand. Like you know, it was a great episode. Is when we had Erica <laughs> on because it just we continue on our show to talk about school age kids and school related mm-hmm. stuff, and we always come back to how great that conversation was. Um, oh. And so we'll link to that. Our listeners should definitely go back and listen, especially um, if you have kids entering school. Um, but I'm curious as it relates to being a mom, um, now that you're on the other side of this, your girls, your oldest is in preschool and you are now. Yeah, they now, both are now. Okay. They both are. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're now the mom dealing with yeah. teachers. So has, have there been any, because um, when you were a teacher writing about this, you were not yet a yeah. mom. So have there been, been any big like ahas from the other side? No, totally. I joke with Kelsey
2: that I need to go back and like revise it now as a mom on the, like add an addendum on the back or something. No, I mean, I think a lot of it still rings true. I think the biggest difference is that I now see how hard that is from the other side. Mm -hmm. I saw how hard that parent teacher relationship could be from the teacher side. Mm -hmm. And now I see it from the parent side Mm -hmm. and you just want, I think you've talked about this on a on one of your podcast episodes, you just want this, you so badly want to support the teacher and you want them to know all of these yes. little things that make your kids unique and special. And yeah. sometimes
0: they just don't have the time yeah. for it. They're or like, you thanks might... for that information. I have 32 yeah. of them. <laughs> <laughs>
2: totally. Or just like, they might not need to know that. That yes. might've been important for you, but they may see a different side of them in the classroom or whatever. So that has been hard to kind of find that balance of like, I'm, I, I just want to go in. I'd be like, I was a teacher and I'll yeah. help in the classroom and I'll be really good <laughs> yeah. and I'll stay out of your way. and yeah. like. Uh, but then backing off and knowing how hard they work and it, yeah. it is just a difficult dance, I think, when you're sending. And we were in the unusual position of sending V last year after only having parented her for six months. So it was right. like, Usually, you know your kid a little better yeah. before you send them off to preschool, <laughs> and everything's not so raw. I mean, I just remember bawling through the entire yeah. preschool orientation and not being able to understand that as a teacher, yeah. why it was so emotional. Like I always yeah. said, I understood, but yeah. you you don't really feel yeah. that until you're a parent yourself. Yeah. Like
0: that's so interesting. This is the first
2: of like many letting go steps, and I already yeah. have to do it six months into yeah. parenting. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh, that's just an interesting uh perspective yeah. on the book I'm from, like I don't know I feel like I have to write another one now from the yeah other side.
0: follow up follow yeah. up part two um you were teaching pretty young too right weren't you kindergarten or yeah I've taught
2: everything from kindergarten to third grade okay. so but in that early elementary well yeah. that will
0: be fun especially as your girls get older and really yeah. you start to see some... I probably
2: need to go back and read a couple chapters <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Um, well, and let's talk briefly about the podcast just for those few listeners. I mean, Erica, I don't know if you know this, but we just did our listener survey. So we kind of uh-huh. know what else our listeners are listening to. And I think there's a lot of mutual Our if we got our, yeah. our listening audiences together, we have a lot of mutual listeners. But in case not in case you're a listener of the mom hour and do not already listen to the girl next door podcast. Um, it's been one of my favorites for a long time. I found you guys. So, okay. We should talk about this Please. because I feel like yeah. you and I connected after my fall weather rant yes. that went viral. Yes. That's that was somehow. It all comes down to I fall all in all my world. Down Everything down to fall. comes down to fall. So if you're, if you haven't heard me talk about this, I wrote this very snarky blog post that went as viral as anything I've ever written has <laughs> ever gone. Awesome. And it's known as the one where I talk about pumpkin spice lattes, but I always have to say, I have nothing against pumpkin spice lattes. What I have against, what I, my problem is how aggressively fall is marketed <laughs> in places where it's 115 degrees. And I yes, use the it's pumpkin. Like insult sp- to yeah.
2: injury, right?
0: Yes. So I actually enjoy an occasional, pu- I still get people sending me stuff because they think I hate pumpkin spice lattes. am like, no, no, I just hate 115 degrees in October and ha- yes. being told that I'm supposed to be wearing Uggs and drinking a pumpkin spice latte. No, That's-
2: totally, because it's like, all right, I'm already trying to stay in a positive mindset yeah. that it's way hot here and yeah. it doesn't feel
0: like fall, and you rubbing it in is not helping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing against the PSL. Anyway, yes. so I found you guys, when you and I connected over that, that was, mm-hmm. I wrote that post three years ago, which seemed, it mm-hmm. seems like a million, but... Um, And I started shortly after that listening to you and Kelsey. So you guys have a podcast called The Girl Next Door. You start every episode with a cocktail. You are real-life next-door neighbors. Yes. And you guys talk about, um, I would say, I mean, I think I understand why our listener base is close. I think there's some similarities. I think you guys talk about more not-mom stuff, a lot more not-mom stuff than we do. And I, I love that about your show. So you guys talk a lot about home organization and creativity and food. And, um, that's Mm -hmm. sort of like 10% of what Megan and I talk about. And I think you guys do a really good job of having at least as much stuff that has nothing to do with family life and parenting. So, um, so I love listening to you guys. And if our listeners have not, um, yeah. And is, is the podcast still, I mean, you guys are still going strong. You've been doing it longer than we have. Any, Anything coming up? I know you just um, had a little retreat. Any secrets yes, you want to share about what's next? Yeah, we had a
2: retreat with our other fellow podcasting friend, Sarah Bagley. We just released a newsletter. Okay. Some exciting stuff coming up. So if you sign up for our email newsletter, we'll link to um, that. And then next month we have some exciting goodies coming up.
0: Nice, nice. Dun, dun, dun. Dun,
2: dun, dun. Yeah, dun, dun, dun. don't and give so- a spoiler
0: alert, but. Um, Our listeners can look for the Girl Next Door podcast on any Mm -hmm. podcast app. And then can you just give us your website just so we have it? Yeah,
2: it's girlnextdoorpodcast.com. Okay. And you
0: guys are awesome on social media. In the show notes um, for this show, which will be at themomhour.com, I will link to everywhere where you are on social and the Girl Next Door podcast and your book everywhere where listeners can find you. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think that is it before we wrap up, but I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your story.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to share. It's good for me to share it too. So
0: yeah, no, it's been great. And um, again, I'll link to your, as much as you're able to share on social, that's been, I know something, some, like you don't show your girls faces and and names, but I I've personally really benefited from watching your story play out on Instagram. And so I'll link to that as well. If people just, you know, it's just to root you on, I think just to be, Thanks. yeah, it's been a super
2: encouraging, encouraging thing to just put it out there. And I can't wait to share their faces. Hopefully soon enough.
0: Yes. Well, I know that will be, it'll be fun for all of us to see, but more importantly, it's been really just nice to be able to support you and follow along and yay, social media. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you again, Erica. Listeners head over to themomhour.com. Look for the show notes for bonus interview. This is number seven with Erica Ladd and you'll find everything that we talked about today. And Megan and I will be back in your ears on Tuesday. Thanks everybody.
1: The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code TheMomHour. Go to Erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code TheMomHour to save 20%.
0: Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening and left The Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, That's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much.